Pastor Xavier Reese marvels at the sight of the slain Lamb of God. When John the Beloved sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, when the church is raptured up, he says, And I saw a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the world. The mark's still there. What an awesome thing that he who is perfect took those scars and will bear those scars as an evidence of his love for you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Watch and pray. Pray without ceasing. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Scripture commands us to pray, and pray often. In fact, Jesus modeled His prayer life in numerous instances for us throughout the Gospels. And continuing a Simple Truth study titled, Understanding Prayer, Pastor Xavier focuses in on Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, highlighting many elements of prayer that honor God. Let's listen. This morning we want to look at our Lord's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and see what we can learn about prayer. The first thing we want to look at in verses 32 to 34 is that Jesus had a place to pray. It says they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch. Notice the place. The place is Gethsemane. It is located on the east side of the Mount of Olives. As you come out of the city to the Kidron Valley, then you come up the slope. And there is the Mount of Olives. At the foot of the Mount of Olives, there were some gardens there. And this was his place of prayer. Um, Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says that he was accustomed to go there. So this time when Jesus goes to pray, it isn't something just because he's in distress or he's in difficulty. Something that you and I have to learn continuously. It seems that the only time that we go to prayer is when we, something we feel is wrong. Or that something is coming about that I don't understand or I can't handle. And yet prayer should be a thing that we do always, regardless of what is going on or what is not going on. He had a place of prayer. I hope you have a place of prayer. It might be in your car as you drive to school. It might be before you leave the home. Before anybody gets up, you get up and you have a place where you just pray, you seek the Lord. But you should have somewhere where you meet the Lord. Does that mean that you can't pray anywhere but there? No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) But did you pray? And you wait upon God and you seek God and you know that He is the one who's going before you. And not anybody else, not your group, not your church, but you. We also learned that Jesus had a purpose in prayer here in this section, verse 35 through 40. Jesus needed to be alone with the Father. Verse 35 says, He went a little farther and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You see, Jesus knew that this was something that only the Father could meet. Jesus desired to do the will of the Father in spite of his suffering also. There's another purpose that he shows us here, verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, 
but what you will. This is going to take some heavy prayer. <laughs> you need to come to God knowing that all things are possible. He can do anything. I need to come with that confidence. But that doesn't mean that he will do anything I tell him. That's another matter. <laughs> because he's sovereign. He does what he wills, when he wills, to who he wills, and where he wills. Why? Because primarily he has his purpose and his will in mind. And secondly, he has my eternity in mind. And they work together. His petition was for the cup to be removed. What did he mean by the cup? First of all, Jesus would become sin for the whole world. But not only that, Jesus would be severed from fellowship with the Father because Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, I don't understand how that was broken if they're always one. Whatever was going to take place was just awesome. And it was going to take place because of you and because of me. In verse 36, he prayed the first time. In verse 39, he prayed the second time. So intense and so fervent was the prayer time here that Luke 22, 43 and 44 says that an angel was sent to him to strengthen him and he sweat as it were drops of blood. Now I have never prayed with that intensity. I have cried out in prayer to God for myself. I have cried out to God because I didn't think it was fair. But I've never prayed to the extent and the agony that blood came forth from my brow. That's intense. That's conflict. Hebrews chapter 5 is a good commentary at this point. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 through 8 confirms that God the Father heard him. Because sometimes people read this passage and say, well, didn't God the Father hear him? He asked him to take a cup away. Why didn't God take it away? Because it wasn't his will. Was Jesus shirking back from the, from the cross? No. Jesus is teaching us the conflict that we're going to have here on this earth while in these bodies. And yet in spite of the conflict, in spite of the agony, we can fulfill the will of God as we go to prayer and wait upon him and draw from him. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, it says, Who, speaking of Jesus, uh, the high priest after the Uruk Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with them and cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He prayed, God the Father heard, and God the Father answered. God saved them from death. Peter said to the to the people there in the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost, uh, that hell could not hold him. God raised him from the dead. But yet here in Hebrews it says that he prayed, God heard, and he answered him. And though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. If Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, how much more you and I it is there where we are suffering. It is there when we are at lowest point that we are the most capable of bringing God the greatest glory. Whenever I feel I am strong, I am able, I have things in control, I am the greatest position to give God the least amount of glory. 
because I trust myself. I can see what's going on. It's when I don't know. It's when he is directing me and I know this is what he wants, yet there is a conflict. That is what God desires to bring me into obedience for his will. 1 John 5, 14, 15 says, this is the confidence we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I hope that you're not falling prey to the very superficial teaching and selfish teaching today of positive confession that you can ask and demand of God anything you want and he has to give it to you because you are a child of God and you can demand it. Prosperity, my divine right. Huh. What we have as rights, we deserve hell. And yet the scriptures are clear that God is the one in control of prayer, not man. Prayer is an avenue to align ourselves with the will of God, not God with us. Look at Daniel. When he saw that the, by the number of books and the years that the captivity was almost up, he, he turned his face to see God, to see what he could tap into, how he fit in the plan, what God's will was. That is the evidence of understanding prayer. But there is another purpose. Jesus wanted to show the weakness of our flesh regarding prayer and its relationship to temptation. In verse 37, he says, Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? He reproves them here. In verse 29 of this chapter, Peter says, Lord, even all these forsake you, I will not forsake you. You see, I don't doubt that Peter was sincere. It says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in verse 38. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You see, when somebody says, you know, I I'm not going to fall into that sin anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be like that. I don't doubt them. Their spirit is willing. Their human spirit. When Peter says, Lord, I will never deny you, even though all these deny you, he meant it. He wasn't lying. But he was trusting in his own spirit, his own energies, his own abilities to fulfill that which only the spirit of God can do. The spirit's willing, my human spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. It's impotent to do the things of God, to accomplish the things of God. And so I don't doubt your sincerity and the problems you have and the difficulties you come across. You say, I will never do that. But if you're trusting in your spirit and your flesh, you will never be able to do it. And Jesus is showing us here that the flesh cannot do it. Watch and pray. That is directly linked to temptation. If we're not praying, we're not watching. And if we're not watching, we're not going to be praying. And temptation is going to be right around the corner. Look at the world today. Look at the temptations that are out there. You and I can do anything we want and nobody would ever think anything bad of us. Today you can do anything. Absolutely anything. You can be a homosexual and parade it. And they'll just look at you and say, well, you know, they're happy. Doesn't bother me. You can be a person to live with different people anytime you want and have no morals and, and, and nobody would ever blink an eye for the most part. We're living in a very evil generation. 
And those temptations are all around you and me to make us compromise. Everything we look at, everything we hear, all that goes on, it is difficult living in the United States. Very, very difficult, especially in Southern California. You've got everything you have to fight. And unless we become people of prayer, we will become people of compromise. It only takes one step and then the next one comes automatically. If we're not praying, we'll become strong in our own strength and say, well, you know, I can handle it. I can do this. I can do that. And before you know it, as Paul says, let him think of these standards, take heed lest he fall. It has to be through the power of God. And I'll tell you what, prayer is an absolute essential. Notice verse 40. He returned, he found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer. They were embarrassed. Rightly so. You say, yeah, I would be too. Then we should be, all of us. Because continuously, Jesus taught about being awake about being ready. And as I look to the majority of people in the church of Jesus Christ, many are not ready. Many are not watching. Many are not praying. And we're going on as life as usual, just like in the days of Noah. The days of Noah, I think, are not so characterized by the evil. But I think that the gist of that in Matthew 24 is that they were living as if there would never end and there would always be a tomorrow. Life as usual. Some of you are living your lives life as usual. No big hurry. Jesus ain't coming yet. Hey, I've got time. I'm going to do some things. That's a dangerous position, a dangerous attitude. Because in such a time as you think not, the Son of Man comes, the Bible says. Pray and watch that you always be ready to escape all these things that will come upon the whole world. That is the exhortation of Jesus. But there is one more thing in verse 41 and 42. Jesus had received power in prayer. It was through going to the Father in prayer that he received power to face the cross. Then he came the third time and he said to them are you still sleeping and resting these guys were always sleeping remember the Mount of Transfiguration they were kind of sleepy I mean these guys needed to pray for blanket victory you ever say well I'm going to get up and pray early in the morning I'm going to set the alarm for 530 it goes off and you go oh yeah <laughs> blanket victory kick them off get out of bed these guys were sleepy heads. Their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. I look at the church today and I see the church with heavy eyes. And I see the church not having anything to answer. We need to be real about the church in the United States today, people. For the most part, it's not doing too good. If you are sold out to Jesus Christ this morning right here. If your heart commitment to God is 100%. Then you are a rare commodity today. 
in the church of Jesus Christ, not in the world, in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus was no longer upset with the disciples. He had come the third time. He found them sleeping. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? He said, it is enough. There is no longer any need for me to reprove you or for you to watch. Why? Because victory has been won. Was Jesus depending on the disciples for the victory in his life right here? Never. Do not depend on people for the spiritual victory of your life. God may use certain people to help you. God may have certain people to comfort you. But God help you. And God help me if you depend upon people to get spiritual victory. That only comes you and the Lord. No other way. He had received the power. He didn't need to anymore. He had gone to prayer. He had asked. He knew God was hearing. He knew God would answer. He received God's will. It was settled. He got up and he walked. Some of us go to prayer and God reveals his will and it's like we don't want to get up. And when we do, we no longer walk, we drag. There's no joy in our life because we figure God has laid a big heavy trip on us. Harder than we can bear. But not really. All he wants to do is ground you to powder. Break you. Humble you. Show you your heart. And make you just like him. See, Jesus could face the hour that the, uh, the Father had appointed to him, the betrayal of the Son of Man into the hands of sinners. And so he said, rise up, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. How could he face it? Because he had gone to prayer. Some people will say to you, how can you live the way you're living? How can you put up with the husband you have? How can you put up with the wife you have? How can you forgive them for what they did? How can you be so strong, so positive in such a, a situation that you're in? Because I've gone to prayer. Because I've received God's will. I know what He wants. And so therefore, God's will is a joy. It's not a chore. I'm not doing Him a favor, but He's doing me a favor. And we need to have proper perspective. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many in chapter 10, verse 45, the key verse to the epistle, to the gospel here. Isaiah 53 speaks about him as a sheep going to the slaughter, dumb, not saying anything, taking the sins of the world upon himself. Isaiah says that his visage was so marred, his face was so messed up, his body was so mutilated that he was not recognized as a man. And that's why I believe that when we see Jesus Christ for the very first time, we will be at awe at him because I believe he will still bear his marks. For the scriptures declare there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. When Thomas saw him, he says, let me see the nail prints. He says, here they are, Thomas. Here's my side. When John the Beloved sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, when the church is raptured up, he says, and I saw a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the world. The mark's still there. What an awesome thing that he who is perfect 
took those scars and will bear those scars as an evidence of his love for me and for you perhaps for all eternity we don't know and yet we cry about a little splinter about a little upset in our plans in our marriages and so we're always praying that God would change the situation it's no big deal for God to change the situation God wants to change my miserable heart that's the hard part that's where I have to come and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Now, how many of you can do it in the energies of your flesh? I certainly can't. Well, I'm not saying I haven't tried. But I certainly can't. What love that God has for us. Some important lessons for us here. As we see Jesus praying. You need to find a place of prayer, a time of prayer. And you need to be consistent. You need to pray for this church. You need to pray for God to give us wisdom to raise up labors. You need to pray that God would supply the finances. You need to pray that God would open doors. You need to pray that God would give you guidance for your marriage. You need to pray for your children. You need to pray for this nation. You need to pray. We are to be a praying people. But it seems that all we are is a complaining people we haven't learned from the children of Israel in the wilderness and yet we know that God sent his son to die for us he didn't do it to kill us but to save us to give us life and life more abundantly but there is a cross to bear your cross not the cross of Christ not my cross your cross there is a course to run, not my course, your course. Not the course of Jesus, your course. And you need to be faithful. And if you have any intents of being faithful, then you have to start with prayer. And as we go to prayer, we recognize that there is a purpose in prayer, God's will. Always God's will, not my own. As long as I'm praying for my will, then I can't have God's kingdom come in my life. God's kingdom will never come into my life until my will is gone. It must be His will. Then His kingdom will come and power and glory in my life so that He's the one that calls the shots. He's the one that's in control of my life. And I am just a broken vessel. And when we do that, then we will receive power. Then we will be a light to the world assault to the community of Pasadena the cities where you live but until then you're not even a spark I'm not a spark until then the only reason you're thirsty is because you're complaining but you make no one else thirsty because you're not salt and Jesus says we're light and we're salt of the earth man God has saved us and he is working in us and through us for one and one reason alone to get his will done and his will is to reach the lost and for you and I to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to the full maturity of Christ it seems simple by just saying it but the process is difficult therefore we need to trust the spirit of God and not our own ability and so let's begin this week begin a prayer life 
begin to see what God wants to do in your life and then do it. Don't put it off, but do it. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing important simple truths about prayer from our Savior's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark today. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truths message titled Understanding Prayer are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply Understanding Prayer, or just mention today's date. Now, you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 